thank you to Minds and Money for inviting us to have another quarterly uh, five at five. It has been a flurry of activity here in the United States from a political point of view, represented here uh, four American projects, three in lithium, one in nickel, uh, represented in four states, uh, Nevada, North Carolina, Minnesota, and Michigan. Uh, and in the case of, of Piedmont, uh, there's also, you know, outside of the United States, Ghana and uh, Quebec, which is uh, to some degree of relevance as well as uh, friendly countries, um, which which might receive um, you know some of the the, the government support um, that uh, has, has recently been implemented, has actually been a fair bit of legislation enacted um, in the United States, uh, and a lot of it uh, is not well understood. Um, and I, in, in my opinion, it's actually quite underhyped. What's in train and what we're all trying to wrap our heads around and will become clearer over the next weeks and months is that there were some, there is some very substantial financial support, in particular on the supply side, rather than just uh, demand-driven you know, EV subsidies you know, in support of uh, battery production and also critical minerals um, processing uh, that these uh, four companies, you know, here represent. The participants here, uh, Emily Hirsch from Luna Lithium, early stage, you know, in Nevada. Todd Malin uh, represents Talon Metals, which is in nickel, further down the exploration and, and, and development mm -hmm. train. And then uh, James Calloway uh, of Ioneer and Piedmont, um, you know, are, are, are quite advanced uh, lithium development stories of both have publicly announced uh, applications for loans from the Department of Energy, you know, and and both companies have signed meaningful offtakes uh, with Tesla, Ford, uh, and Toyota um, across, you know, those two companies. And I want to start uh, this discussion first with Emily, who before starting Luna Lithium about a year ago, ran a podcast uh, and kept us all informed throughout the pandemic, uh, very much focused on these issues. The, the Minerals Manhattan Project um, was a podcast. Uh, you could describe what you were advocating for, but you've been busy um, you know, putting your money and your time you know, where your mouth was in uh, developing um, an early stage uh, you know, resource project. So if you could just talk, Emily, I guess, what were you um, advocating for, how things have evolved, you know, since then, and, and what you see um, in, in the legislation that's passed that, that can help uh, a company uh, at your stage of development, um, you, you know, advance maybe faster than is the typical uh, trajectory. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good morning, Howard, and uh, thank you, Minds and Money, for uh, including me on this exciting panel. It's definitely really exciting as a as a US native who's recently returned to my home country to do mineral exploration to see lithium and to see battery materials and the process by which they're mined from the earth and um and transformed into the technology ready chemicals that we need to build batteries it's very exciting to see that go from kind of a a fringe topic where somebody doing a doing a podcast from their closet during a pandemic is sort of one of the one of the louder voices in it to see this going all the way up to to Congress and see it be consistently front page news in the New York Times in the Financial Times in the Wall Street Journal. And so it's definitely exciting times and even even I who have 
advocated strongly for the need for U.S. domestic critical mineral supply chains. I'm surprised at the pace at which or the speed with which this has, has come about. But more so than that, and from an early stage company perspective, I think that the, the mining narrative or the, the presentation of the necessity of U.S. domestic mining for things like lithium or nickel in the Inflation Reduction Act, it does, besides the financial and besides the economics that, that Howard, I think you were alluding to, and I'm sure we'll talk about on this panel, this really, um, I think, nails down the fact that lithium ion batteries powering electric vehicles are the incumbent technology that we are seeing in the car industry today. And that this is a real step that the US has decided to put a stronger foot in front of being a leader in the future of energy space. So the, the impetus for calling my podcast the Minerals Manhattan Project and talking about the need to understand the role of minerals in the battery supply chain in the United States came from a, a sort of a call to action, if you will, that we need to get serious that the future of energy is electrification and the future of energy being electrification means that the roots or the power of from a geopolitical standpoint of the actors who will matter uh, in the future of this energy shifting okay. paradigm are the ones who control these supply chains and are the ones who, who control these uh, these capabilities to, to make this energy. And for the United States' standpoint, I was calling for the U.S. to take a leadership role. And so it's very pleasant to see that that has, has happened. And I think that we're in a, in a position where the lithium-ion battery and domestic supply chains and some domestic mining to achieve these goals is becoming inevitable, right? It's not an if- but it's a when. But this bill and these sort of actors that you see up here, we're the people who have the responsibility to push for when and push for how this happens. And I think that that switching from that kind of fringe commentary to the idea that this is mainstream, this is happening, this is happening now, how do we do it quickly and how do we do it responsibly is a is an exciting time to be alive. All right. Um, that sounds great. And uh, I'm going to take your call to action and um, call up two slides that uh, Todd Malin very nicely put together, because these are kind of like the nuts and bolts and, and meat of, uh, again, what I consider to be not well understood and underhyped, but extremely meaningful, uh, large sums of money are, are, are going to be made available to American and friendly country resource projects. So um, I covered this in, in a recent podcast with John Miller of Cowan on Rockstock Channel. Uh, I'd encourage you to kind of look at that um, at some point. But wh why don't you, uh, Todd, go through uh, these two slides and then we'll carry on from there. So you have the bipartisan infrastructure law now that has uh, $3.6 billion for battery mineral uh, processing in the United States. And we're going to start to see some of the funding priorities of the administration come out this fall uh, because half of that money will be awarded uh, in the fall. And then, you know, there was extraordinary funding added to the Ukraine supplemental uh, funding bill uh, this spring that uh, put money into the Department of Defense's coffers for the 
De Defense Production Act specifically targeted at the battery supply chain. And then you see everything that we uh, can go over in the Inflation Reduction Act. I think that the thing that you have to conclude, and I've been you know, in Washington for 30 years and doing critical minerals work for 12 to 15, is that there's a clear bipartisan consensus that leaders in the United States are making the battery supply chain a priority and they want to decouple from China. That's the headline across all of these pieces of legislation. And if you only look at the Inflation Reduction Act, lots of people have spent time on the basically the EV um, uh, support for individual consumers and the requirements that are in that uh, provision uh, that stipulate that the battery minerals have to be sourced from the United States or from a, a, a free trade agreement country um, and uh, or from uh, battery minerals that have been recycled in North America. And I think a lot of people are just focused on how hard that's gonna be and the fact that we don't have as many uh, uh, sources of supply within those countries. I take a much, you know, uh, more positive view of this. I think that um, uh, because of the other restrictions, the fact that there's a limitation on the subsidy for uh, high-income individuals, so there's an income qualification, and then there's also a price uh, limitation on there. There's, it's already a, a, a fairly limited scope of cars that will be able to uh, receive the, the the incentive, but what it does do and people leave out this is provide really meaningful resources to project developers in the United States. And these credits are really only available to projects in the United States like the, the Tamara project or uh, the other uh, panelist projects in the United States um, that are basically tax credits. So these tax credits have previously been really only targeted at re renewable energy projects, but now critical mineral processing is included in, in, in both of the incentives. So there's the 48C advanced energy project credit, and that's an extension of an existing project that now reads in critical mineral processing operations um, and recycling into the, um, the, the scope of that credit. And that is a 30% of the potential uh, cost of a project to be included as a credit. And um, I think that will make a meaningful contribution to the, to the projects that apply for that credit and are awarded that credit. And there's gonna be lots of regulations that still have to be executed um, for each of these two credits. But then on 45X, this is a brand new credit. Nobody really uh, fully understands how it's gonna be implemented, but it gives um, you know, a 10% uh, production uh, cost uh, tax credit to a wide degree of renewable energy producers or manufacturers of re renewable energy um, machinery, uh, as well as production of, of battery uh, grade materials. So I think there's you know, a real push from Senator Manchin to do things domestically or with allies and basically decouple to the greatest extent possible from the Chinese dominated supply chain. 
Um, but he also gives resources to be able to do it. Um, so it's not just telling people thou shalt, you know, produce in the United States, but also provides that that infrastructure and that support to be able to uh, to be able to move the ball forward. There are a couple other things in the bill that I think are less headline grabbing, but also important to keep in mind. Um, there's another contribution of $500 million to the Defense Production Act, um, uh, Title III funding. So that's over a billion dollars that's available to both mines and battery processing and recycling. Uh, uh, as uh, stipulated in the Defense Production Act Title III program. There's uh, a focus in, um, in the bill around environmental justice uh, initiatives. Um, and what that means is making sure that the money in the bill goes to communities that have previously perhaps uh, caught the environmental uh, costs of, of, of some developments. Um, and for projects that locate in areas that actually uh, qualify as uh, areas that have been uh, affected disproportionately by uh, fossil fuel development and other things, uh, there's other resources there. Um, and I think that's very important for people that are developing projects to think about um, some of that location choices you may be, have. You can't you know, move the geology, but you may be able to move and choose where the processing is. Um, DOE loan program got a big uh, uh, additional funding in this bill that again can can finance uh, projects in the United States. Um, then there's a, a new green bank uh, that is available for funding. And then finally, there's significant funding added to um, the ability of the federal government to uh, prioritize the permitting process um, under FAST 41 which is a little known uh, group of people within the White House that actually focus on coordinating complex permitting processes within the federal government and try to keep everything on schedule and uh, moving forward at pace. Um, it's actually something that I think is quite positive. It exists in law now, um, but no mining companies have yet taken advantage of it and actually sought uh, FAST 41 um, support. So there's a lot in this bill. Um, there's a lot in the other bills that I mentioned that are very positive for the sector. And, uh, you know, I really don't think there's been a better time to be developing a uh, mineral project in the United States uh, since before the, the Second World War. Todd, thank you. That um, was a great uh, summary. There's a lot of information in that, and this is uh, the second of many uh, kind of discussions we, we plan to have on this. So just uh, by way of background, I uh, forgot to introduce uh, all of your background, Todd. So you were at Rio Tinto doing government affairs for much of those 12 years, recently joined Talent about a year ago. Rio Tinto is a partner you know, on the Talent project. But prior to that, you were working, you know, for Goldman Sachs, uh, and as you described it to me, you were, you know, helping Lloyd Langfine, you know, back in the day of, the, you know, the Volcker rule, you know, after the, uh, um, you know, the global financial crisis. So you certainly know your way around um, Washington D.C. But Goldman uh, is a banker appointed uh, that Ioneer has appointed. So you've been working, you know, pretty closely, uh, James with them as we did a podcast with you in 2019. I, I told you this morning, I was re-listening to it. Uh, you, you keynoted the Benchmark Minerals um, event and they just had another event um, you know, three years later after the pandemic. And there's been a marked shift from 
you know, what we were talking about then and what you were like envisioning and suggesting should happen is now kind of happening. So if you could just give us, you know, the lay of the land, you know, as, as you see it, um, yeah. uh, you know, in DC, and maybe you could talk a little bit specifically because your, your issues are, you know, a very particular um, uh, that you're dealing with. But um, I'm curious, you've signed three offtakes, you know, with Ford, Toyota, you know, and Echo Pro. You know, is that a requirement, you know, for the, the you know, the Department of Energy loan, you know, so you're really deep in the weeds of uh, and advanced right. in, in those dialogues and and hopefully we'll get, uh, you know, a loan. Well, thank you very much and appreciate being with all of you and thank you for including me. Um, you know, I, I, I like everyone else on this panel uh, is very excited about uh, all the things that Todd just uh, eloquently described. Uh, I mean, you start looking at the scale of the resources that have been uh, are being deployed, and it's for the first time it it it's it's commensurate with the needs. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I remember uh, uh, going to see the Department of Defense. Uh, I don't know, three or four years ago. You know, and they had this fund, and I, I went to the to the Pentagon. And I walked through these these halls. I gave my cell phone up into a locker and sat down with these three guys and they're really nice guys and they really were determined to help the lithium sector. And we had this long conversation at the end. I said, well, how much money do you have? And they said, well, we've, we, have, we have appropriated $45 million, but about two thirds of that is committed to other things. And I looked at them, I just didn't know what else to do. I said, guys, I hate to tell you, but you're, the scales that you're talking about are irrelevant to me. They don't mean anything to me, $10 million, $5 million, it's a drop in the bucket. Now, if you're doing research, great. But if you're trying to build a billion plus dollar mine, it's irrelevant. And I think that what's so exciting is that all of a sudden we find ourselves in, a, in the land of plentiful. Uh, uh, but I, I and, and, you know, I start thinking about the, you know, the implications of a 30 percent investment tax credit. I mean, you know, you, you can it, most people don't think about this, but I know you do, Todd, that, is that it converts in my mind? I straight go. I start thinking about you know going and and doing uh, uh, tax equity, uh, you know, uh, financings, you know that 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 the that have been critical to the development of of renewable energy around the United States. I mean, it's and you know it's an enormous opportunity to generate equity. It, it's 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 convoluted for most people, but it is very important. And of course, the production credit too. It's a little more difficult to convert it because it's a it's a risk type position of revenue. But but boy, when you start talking about an investment credit, you're going to make those investments, and so they're monetizable. So I think these are fantastic things. And I and I, I would be remiss to not mention about the extraordinary amount of money that's now available in the the, the Department of Energy, and you know, of all the agencies, the loan production. Uh, group has been more forward leaning with significant resources in the last year than anybody else. Uh, uh, that's, that's the good news. And, and certainly their available funds are extraordinary at this point. And they were, by, by the way, they're pretty extraordinary before this uh, IRA bill too. Uh, so it's been both times. But the, the, the thing I'd caution everybody about is that they act at least our experience over the last year and a half working with them, and I'm sure that Piedmont's would be the similar, is they act very much like a big commercial bank, okay? They, 
this idea that there's easy money coming out of the, the Department of Energy is just not a, 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 an accurate perspective. They're very sensitive to the Solyndra case. They're very sensitive to making big mistakes. Now, with that being said, if you can get through their multi-stage process and you can actually get to an agreed uh, uh, structure, the terms of that those that capital will be very advantageous to your capital structure. Uh, it, it has various characteristics. One is, of course, the, the tenor is good. So, you know, a lot of times when you're having a startup operation, you know, commercial banks are going to want to squeeze you on the tenor or, or, or have hurdles where you, you know, you're, you're going along and then they want to, they want to do a reval and you're all of a sudden in trouble uh, where they're giving quality, uh, you know, I think you can expect sort of 10 year type tenors for good projects that have that kind of, uh, you know, the support ratios, uh, which is good. And then, of course, the interest rates are going to be uh, quite favorable relative to what you could expect in a commercial syndicate. So I think this 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 is good. But I, I do want everyone to know that it's a year and a half of really hard work to get to to the finish line with those guys. It's not something you walk in and say, hey, I'd like to have it because the, the, the way that process works, <coughs> Howard, is there's a there's a multi-phase period. It's sort of their internal review, okay, where they their own team, which they have about 180 or 200 people there, you know, and they're all basically came out of commercial banks as far as I could tell. So it's a very commercially oriented discussion. Those guys uh, will do their internal reviews and then, and that's multi-staged. And then after you get through that, you know that you're actually really into potentially getting some resources when you go into the formal phase. And that's where it gets expensive because now all of a sudden you're paying for their consultant, external consultants and your team to, to, to really do a deep dive evaluation, technically, financially, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, just like you would do with a big syndicate bank. That's really what it's like, but you're paying for both sides of that, that, that conversation. And then you know that you've got that you've made it through when you get a, a firm term sheet. So it's a, a, a very detailed term sheet that tells you, okay, we we've come to uh, an agreement. And then it's sort of a legal process after that to try to, you know, document it up and get it ready to be executed. And it'll have CPs. So you know, it will have CPs that allow you to, you know, they'll condition say, okay, precedent, conditions precedent. Excuse me, conditions precedent. Uh, like, for instance, that, uh, you know, you get a final, you know, at least a class two cost estimate. Uh, so you're going to have to have a very high, a high quality cost estimate from a reliable source. Uh, you're going to have to have, you know, a, a, you're going to have to, by the way, take into account Davis Bacon. Uh, so, you know, count that one in. Don't forget about Davis Bacon because they're going to make you use Davis Bacon in construction. Uh, they're going to require, you know, forward leaning uh, uh, inflationary factors are going to have to put in there. So there's a lot of things that go into these things in reality. But I, I but look, it's there. I mean, it's incredible that it's there, and I'm excited about that. The other challenge that we all face is that in the end, all of this, all of these resources, all those different ones, are all ultimately tied to getting a permitted mine. Okay, You're, nobody's getting any of this money until they have a permitted mine. I mean, you might get a little research money, you know, from some source 
but the big money isn't flowing until you have a permitted mine. And if you're dealing, you know, with the federal government in public lands, that's a hell of a thing. I mean, and in, in general, it's a hell of a thing because we have a dysfunctional permitting process. And you can say whatever you want about it. It's totally dysfunctional because there's too many cooks in the in the kitchen. And and there's no there's and there's and by the way, it's very difficult to get economic considerations factored into the permit. So you, 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 if you bring it up, it's like, well, we don't deal with economic matters. We deal with flowers or we deal with Indian affairs or we deal with this or we deal with that. But when you ever bring up, say, hey, uh, you know, we have a climate catastrophe here. You know, we need, we need to draw down emissions as fast as we can to save the planet. And oh, by the way, your delays are costing us hundreds of millions of dollars in cost, but both internal costs as well as inflationary impacts. Uh, this it, is like a blank stare. It's like, you know, no knock, knock, who's there? Nobody's home. <laughs> and, and I think that this is the boogaboo, if you will, of this whole discussion is the government on one hand is sending very strong signals, as, as Todd eloquently explained, that we want to see this. But their own apparatus is is deeply dysfunctional in trying to actually get it done and costing American industry, it's co the cost of building a mine in the United States is becoming extraordinarily high relative to the world. And this is something that we've got to address uh, if we wanna have what we're all talking about. And I do wanna address permitting. Um, I wanna focus on all the good things that are in the bill and then talk about like what yeah. is still to be um, discussed yeah. because um, uh, you know, mansion. Uh, you know, by September 30th, we'll see what the what is the compromise on the permitting reform are. And permitting, in particular, is very relevant for you, um, James and and Emily in Nevada, who are operating on federal land. Um, it's less relevant um, where you're on private land. Permitting is difficult everywhere, but if you're part of the NEPA process, right, which yeah. federal land is, that's that is its own kind of kettle of fish, but in Minnesota in and Michigan where Talent operates and in North Carolina where Piedmont operates, they're not in the NEPA process, but they confront they're other still, local yeah, challenges, which, um, you know, if permitting has federal support, right, it'll, it'll spill over in, into the, the state areas, but let's deal with that in, in, in a minute, but right. just... Um, sure. Austin, you know, as we're, you're digesting all the news that Todd, you know, kind of talked about, um, how, how do you see this playing out, um, you know, for Piedmont, not only in North Carolina, but, you know, they're friendly Quebec, you know, who's, uh, you know, considered a domestic source from the Pentagon's point of view, you know, and then even Ghana, where we, we used to have the Overseas Private Investment Corp, you know, there's now called, I think, the development credit corp um you know so we used to loan money to you know lesser developed countries and uh you know ghana kind of fits in that and and, and maybe uh have some aid available for that as well holy smokes well first uh howard thanks for having me minds and money thanks for having me uh great group of panelists here i've uh, had the opportunity to spend time with each of you uh previously and uh, it is fun uh to kind of go through this and and I'll first start with the Inflation Reduction Act and its impact. And it really is surprising to me where we've come from, because if you look back over the last 15 years, 2009, we had the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. 
was a three, three and a half billion dollar uh, investment that went across and it was matching grants. So it was a little bit different than what we have today. Um, when the bipartisan infrastructure law came out in May, uh, another three, three and a half billion dollar uh, funding mechanism for uh, the critical minerals and battery supply chain. Uh, so I was a little disappointed in that because I was hearing the CHIPS Act at that point was over $50 billion in investments that were going into. Uh, the Lybridge effort was uh, an effort that was taking a measure from different participants in the battery supply chain looking for it. And it was apparent that some of that information was funneling back to Congress. Uh, so when the Inflation Reduction Act started getting leaked out in July, uh, and before it was passed, it was it was really surprising the scale uh, because that's what I find fascinating because it it really when you you start thinking about how some of these production tax credits and investment credits will play into the support for the industry, we're talking about investments that are probably on the order of a hundred billion dollars that that will flow back and be supportive to the development of this industry. We've had ARPA, DARPA, uh, small amounts for investments. Uh, Emily referenced uh, the Mineral Manhattan Project, um, and and if you asked her what the reason the Manhattan Project was there, it was it was pretty uh, unique because it tied into the lithium industry. Uh, if you look back to the atomic weapons program and the after World War II and developing that, it was tied to developing a lithium industry uh, in the early 1950s here in the United States. And so, standing up a critical minerals uh, industry today is is really a hard lift. Uh, it's whether it's permitting reform, the investment, uh, the timeline for doing it, it's significant. The United States has been a leader in the critical minerals industry for years and years and years. The battery supply chain, uh, you look at what UT Austin, MIT did back in the 80s to develop this battery industry. Uh, it's, it's really pretty significant for us here in North Carolina, Permitting is a challenge because we do have a lot of it on the state level, um, but we're excited because of what this these investments will mean to our project. Um, we're going to announce uh, later this week a second plant that's a conversion plant, which will rely on resources from outside of the country. Uh, our joint venture in Quebec, or Ghana material, is a supply source for that, and it'll be eligible for these credits as well. So those kind of things will really jumpstart this industry. Uh, and as I, one of the other panelists was referencing, uh, lithium ion has become the incumbent technology. And it's really because automakers decided it had the energy density to transform their transportation industry and also do the things we need to, to provide a, a better and safer climate for our future generations. And that's really the the big step is that we're going to have a battery supply chain here. We won't be able to supply 100% of our needs, but having independence away from China, it's apparent that Congress took a lot of measured ideas, put those into place and put them in place in a way that really will allow for action to take place. That's why if you look at the things that we did, I think 13 years ago with the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, it really wasn't the stimulus needed. Now we have the stimulus there that I think you'll see that action taking place. You've seen a lot of announcements being made from battery makers installing plants here so that they can get a portion of the component piece, but you'll see a lot of conversion and other development activity taking place going forward. Um, 
I think those are probably the things I wanted to touch on, Howard. And I can I can get into permitting as you, as you need, but I really wanted to 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 describe what the the government action today really is a significant step forward. Uh, permitting could be like an extremely long topic, um, <laughs> so I don't I don't want to spend you know too much of our like twenty five minutes kind of discussing that. Uh, but I, I, I want to touch on it in 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 in, in this way. Um, all of these I've, I've noticed very much like all of these um, supports have been, uh, you know, they, they've redefined a lot of existing laws and made them applicable to kind of like the processing of critical minerals. But like alone, the LPO, uh, even Piedmont, right? Like, like if you're crushing rock, you know, if you concentrate the rock, you know, that, that that's okay. That's processed. They could give you money for that. But if you're the mining portion, and this is also applies to kind of Lithium Americas, it may apply to you, James, you know, yeah. the, the actual digging of the dirt needs to be disaggregated from the overall capital cost, like that won't be funded, right? So, so that reflects like this perception that like mining has, it still has a significant PR problem, right? Like, you know, putting shovels in the ground, we can't lend to that. Whereas in Quebec, you have flow through financing, right? They encourage drilling, right? Like they have all the, so um, Emily, as a millennial uh, woman, you know, now living in um, Central Nevada, okay? You're, you're not, you know, working for Google, you know, or, um, you know, social media, whatever, but like a lot of your uh, brethren, ilk, you know, are protesting on the other side. So how do we get more Emily's, right? You, you know, and, and you think like, um, Howard, you, Joe, you, should, you should be careful. Careful what you ask for. I don't know if uh, that more analysis <laughs> is what uh, what the general population is after. Um, no, like look, Joe, I, Joe Biden's a regular Joe, right? Like, so mining, you would think, is a natural kind of constituency that he should be supporting, in addition to chemical manufacturing. So, if you you you're watching the political weight of, of, of the US government and it's helping change the narrative. And then the Fords and the GM are gonna follow, right? That so how do we get them to support mining? Listen, Howard, I think we're I think we're moving in the right direction. Uh and, and the the depth with which anti-mining sentiment is ingrained in a large percentage of the population, not just in the US, but globally, and the depth with which this idea that mining or mineral extraction is a thing of the past, is a thing, you know, quite literally almost every childhood movie that I grew up with had the mining guys as the bad guys, right? And you don't, you don't undo or you don't shift that narrative with one, you know, slash of a government pen. And, and one of the sort of the, the notes that I've been taking down during during this conversation is sort of the, the idea that what I see as overwhelmingly positive in this bill and is was that it wasn't bipartisan, right? That this was a Democrat-led, Democrat-pushed bill. And what that tells me is that the the spirit of or the goals that are outlined within this bill are going to last through a couple political cycles because realistically that is what we need to change a narrative you know unfortunately you know i can't just get on a podcast and tell my uh, i guess my my millennial brethren um that you know your stuff it comes from a mine uh it takes 
engagement and engagement means over time having conversations talking about things driving the narrative but also taking the time to listen to folks who who think differently and understanding the the positions that the the roots of and the causes of anti-mining sentiment or or why people and and there's you and I have discussed this in this, this in the past Howard but there's there are very different kinds of anti-mining sentiment that come from different groups of people you know on on one hand you have local issues right and and I'll I'll, I'll hat tip my neighbors I and near that you know I've seen them do for years extremely on the ground uh, communication and interaction with their local community who have questions about dust or questions about water use or questions about these very local impacts that this project will have and those can be addressed in one manner and then on the other hand or in a different manner you have folks who you know identify with a social persuasion that has decided that mining is bad that mining is a, not an environmental process that it's dirty that it's and, and, and engaging with or the method with which you can communicate with that group uh, is a very different conversation that needs to be had on a very different level and then a third group that is very uh, important to address when talking about how to build sustainable mining in this country are our historic issues of social justice that are tied up within the construction of large mining projects not just in the u.s but worldwide in history right you've got a you know colonialism and and mining went hand in hand in large portions of the world and so finding the way to engage with and over time continuously communicate with those three different groups i think is is essential to you know, I don't think it's going to cause, you know, 50 more Emily's to pop up. And like I said, that's, that's probably a good thing. Um, but I do, <laughs> think, I do think it opens, it opens ears and it opens conversations and it helps break down some stereotypes and helps maybe the folks on the other side of the stereotypes understand why it exists and work to, to kind of change that. And so I think it's, I think we're moving in the right direction, but I do think a, a engagement-based constructive approach to understanding and moving forward is more necessary now in this time where the battery supply chain is mainstream than you know me jumping up on a stage and being like your phone it's full of stuff from a mine i think people kind of are getting that but understanding how to get to an outcome that everybody is in favor of is is the next challenge that we face howard can i just uh, add on to that sure um, I, I completely agree with what Emily outlined here. And, you know, I think we're all carrying a very heavy burden of the legacy of bad act actions in the mining sector over a long period of time. But let's also face up to the fact that large projects that disturb or change somebody's neighborhood, whether it's solar, whether it's hydrogen, whether it's a new gigafactory, People are concerned about that, and that's okay. You know, I mean, I think that's that's natural. Um, the question is, how do you address it? How do you listen to the community? How do you take on board things that you can change, and try to address those things so people feel like they're being heard, and that they can then also start to think about the benefits um, of a new solar plant or a new hydrogen plant that is going to help us deal 
with the global existential problem of climate change. Um, and that's the thing that I think in terms of ed information and education, what Emily said is exactly right. There's only so much we can do as companies. But if the president of the United States is going to stop and say, wait a second, let's talk about critical minerals and stop talking about yes or no, but move the conversation to how and where. I think that's the thing that is really stark for me is that you have so much attention in Congress, uh, so much focus by the president talking about, okay, we absolutely need this stuff, folks. <laughs> it's gotta happen. How do we wanna do it? Um, we wanna do it with um, good tribal consultation and tribal involvement and hopefully economic benefit sharing from uh, the projects to the community, including tribes. We wanna make sure we protect the environment, that we protect water, we protect the air. And you gotta answer how you're gonna do that. So this whole environment is not only about resources and support that's financial, but it's also the credentialization of leaders in America saying, we have to deal with climate change. We have to have an energy transition. We have to decouple from China and the reliance on uh, China and Russia for these minerals. Let's talk about how we're gonna do it. And I think that's a really important opportunity for companies like the ones on this call and for the National Mining Association and other entities to say, um, let's, let's join that conversation. Yeah, Howard, that, that, you know, when you talk about mining and that, you know, Todd was referencing the legacy acts, that's why I'm so excited we're building the industry here in the United States because the United States will take the right steps for ensuring that we engage because we have a democratic uh, constitution where you get involvement from all people. And so you have, you know, whether it be indigenous tribes that are near a project, local communities, we wanna provide an economic benefit to those people. We wanna uh, participate in things that reduce climate change or improve our climate. Uh, we wanna have high paying safe jobs for our workers. Uh, we, you know, we're not moving into a community and bringing in a bunch of people. We're hiring people in our community. So that's important to lifting up the, in, the entire thing and doing it in a manner that really isn't. So Emily was referencing the fact that administrations have changed and policies have changed around uh, democratic processes. It is exciting that, that this is passed in a democratic Congress and, and we can expect that it probably will last going forward. That's one of the challenges we've had over the last 15 years is the fact that the differences that have occurred in administrations has caused so much change that there is uh, an investment uh, or a negative perception of what the investment for a project might be. You know, I look at that, that stability that we have as being a very big positive. Um, we still have the, the challenge that the wording in the, the Inflation Reduction Act is extracted. It's not mine. Um, the, if they would have used mine, it might have been a little more pleasantly uh, changed that perception because everyone associates mining as being a bad thing. I've, I find it fascinating for those of you who uh, watch the Tour de France. They have a huge, huge mine that's on about the eighth day of the Tour de France. And it stretches for over two miles long. Um, and it's right in the backdrop of a bicycle race. And that's really, you know, it's, it's eye-opening to me that you, 
that that's not ever mentioned because they coexist very politely in the, in that area. And it, it's, it's one that it, that coexistence can happen everywhere. It happens in Canada. Uh, it can happen in all of these projects. So uh, exciting for me as we move forward and get mining to, to a place that your regular Joe can say, hey, I'm, I'm happy that we're building a mining industry here in the United States. You know, James, uh, I, I want to bring you in as well. I was just thinking that like uh, at the Fish and Wildlife <laughs> Service, uh, you could probably use uh, one Emily and, and one person from Jigger Shah's team. Right. So an economic. Right. And someone. So it's not kind of knock knock who's there. I mean, I'm, I'm half joking or using your words no, there. But, no, but it, it, in America, you could have a very small segment. Right. Of resistance. Right. And in the case of North Carolina or in the case of Minnesota, it could just be a very small either not in my backyard or someone who falls in love with a flower that you know creates uncertainty and, and creates hundreds of millions of dollars of delays as you're talking about it and, and cancels projects so how do you yeah well you, know, me, you can have all the engagement you want how do you yeah you know have logic prevail emily thank you for noting our team's efforts over the years and working out there in our our local areas uh, uh you know sort of because we're running towards the end, I, 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 I kind of look at it this way, that the government says that all of them, regardless of your affiliation, they all say we want to have responsible mining in America. Okay. But what the, one of the challenges is, what do they mean by that? Okay. Uh, so, you know, the, there's not a particularly great definition of what, what gets you over the, the, the hurdle. Uh, I do think that all the things that have been brought up here about engagement with your community, absolutely, and certainly in the case of lithium, where we tend to be in fairly super evaporitic environments, water is unbelievably important, and, and taking care of water and water tables and everything else is super, super important. I certainly think that in, in to different degrees, but everybody has to take into account tribal, tribal issues and make sure that they're, uh, you know, really not just consulting uh, in the check the box way, but really looking at how this can work for for them as well as for the com the, the local communities. I mean, it's very very important stuff. And there's a whole bunch of other things that you know we need to make sure we do. I ideally don't have tailings, dams, and you know a variety of other things. But here's the the thing that I I just don't know how to deal with is uh, when you have the Endangered Species Act, okay, the, the Endangered Species Act is set up to protect endangered species, but it also has been structured so that it, it, it's a, a field day for uh, those that want to stop all development, period. Uh, it, 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 it's like they can, they're so, it's so easy to find a way to throw a wrench into you know, huge projects and huge efforts uh, where they may not ever prevail in the end with stopping it because of it, but they can sure as hell drag you and drag you and drag you. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, you would like to think that all the environmental groups are looking at, you know, ESA and they're saying, oh man, we, we want to work with the companies to make sure that we're very sensitive in taking care of the endangered species and, and broadly speaking, uh, but there are a set of, of actors, okay, whose real job is to use it as a bludgeoning tool, okay, and who, who do not necessarily need to 
be linked to the truth or to, to science, but are really just using it as a legal method to slow you down and wear you down. Uh, and we have certainly seen that in certain actors that we've had to deal with. And they're, they're some of the, the most egregious. And so I do think that uh, we, there is a need for us to relook at this and you know, how it is that, that we can have you know, huge efforts. And by the way, uh, one of the things that's really interesting I've experienced, and I'm sure all of you have, is that the closer you get to being actually ready to go build something, okay, and these are massive projects, the burn rates that you have to sustain in order to actually have the work done to do it get higher and higher and higher so that the burden on, the, on, on entrepreneurial companies accelerates very, very quickly. And so these guys, because their purpose is to stop you, they're, they're really not, it's secondary, the issue of what they're, what they're using to do it. They're bludgeoning people, okay? And we need to stop this. I mean, there has got to be a relook at ESA and make sure that it's being handled appropriately and not being just used as a legal mechanism to stop everything. This has got to happen, okay? Because all of us are gonna be impacted by this. You show me a project on federal lands where they don't have this problem and I'll show you somebody who doesn't know yet what they're dealing with. So uh, I think that th this is an issue. There are people that are not acting in good faith here, okay? Their objective is to stop development. Okay, and that is not a good use of 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 people's time nor this industry. Now, look. With that being said, okay, you can beat them. Okay, you can beat them. We're about to beat them. Okay, but it is a very long and expensive process to beat them, and you have to factor that into sort of the timelines of expectation for U.S. production because a lot of the best opportunities are on federal lands. Okay, so this is this is something that I I want to I don't want to leave it on a downer because I'm super excited about where we are. I know we're going to get this project built, and the others are going to get built, but it takes fortitude, Howard. It's not a negative note because we do have like mansions, you know, has a promise, right, from Pelosi and Schumer, and there's a continuing yeah. resolution, September 30th. We're going to have, you know, there's some guidelines out there. We don't know um, what they what, are, what it's going to take, but like Elon Musk was out there yesterday saying we need oil and gas for the next 30, 40 years, right? Like so, he's pushing back on. You know, the yeah. very aggressive, you know, there's some realism there. There's a, a support for nuclear that, that we haven't seen, you know, in a while. Right. So that so Mansion, I think, largely gets it. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, you have Tesla as partner of two of the companies on this panel. You have Ford as a partner, you know, of yours. Uh, yeah. Sabanya is is a partner of yours. And Sabanya, we had them on our podcast, talked about the good neighbor agreement that they have in Montana. So there's a lot of positive you know things happening here how do you think it's going to play out with mansion and with major u.s auto companies recognizing that you know you need to localize you need to, you know for environmental reasons and supply chain security reasons mm -hmm. the political weight you know is is moving in a positive direction but as it pertains to permitting and and the, the reducing the ability of you know endangered species act you know uh, people Actors. stopping projects. How do you how do, how do you see it playing out? I'm an optimist about it. Projects like the ones we've talked about today, I think will get there. Um, and as James said, it takes a lot of work, and it should take a lot of work. I mean, um, you know, we are disturbing the earth, 
And we have to be able to show that we can um, do that in a responsible way, that we can close the operation responsibly and then put up financial assurance and all of that. I think at the end of the day, the reason I'm positive, though, is because we have this new sort of focus uh, and, and, and national impetus on addressing the climate change, uh, uh, the crisis of climate change requires inputs. Uh, you can't recycle what you don't have. So I think that um, hopefully with a lot of effort uh, by the auto sector, by leaders of both parties, by the mining sector, we can explain to people, A, that there is a necessity for these materials, and B, um, that we can do it responsibly and produce those ingredients while also protecting the environment and having people um, benefit uh, economically as well. I think that's an important part of the, of the equation. I agree with you completely, and I do think we can do it. I just wish we'd have everybody aligning and we wouldn't have these people messing around and slowing things down. But I do think you're right that there should be great optimism. I'm certainly very optimistic we'll get ours built. I'm an engineer by training. Uh, I like to do things efficiently. Um, when when the government kind of looks in, gets understanding of kind of what this means for energy independence, um, our ability to convert a electron into a mile driven in whatever form that takes and you see the efficiency that an electric motor brings to that that equation how it improves uh, our ability to use resources more efficiently that to me is what brings that optimism over to you say holy cow i don't i'm able to drive my vehicle for a third of the cost to go from point a to point b than what i did five years ago um, so I think that 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 perception is kind of finally setting in across the chain, whether it be at the legislative le spot, the general population, uh, everyone's seeing that and it, you're kind of you're kind of getting the benefit of that in our industry now, um, but is a lot of heavy lifting as James described, there is no easy path to get to the end. Um, and because of that, it's we've got years ahead of us of heavy lifting. And Emily, your uh, Twitter um, description yeah. is uh, of a cheerful pessimist. Um. <laughs> I was about to say, it, in this instance, uh, even the cheerful pessimist is, is optimistic that we're moving in a direction that will result in domestic mining. Um, I do think that the, and I, you know, you know, James has uh, been in it so that hopefully it'll take me, you know, seven years instead of... <laughs> to weave my way through the hydro like permitting process where you know he is right there's a there's a really interesting reality that the economics of your project do not matter to the people that you're talking about and in order to even begin the consultation process with all of these groups your cash burn goes way up with no certainty over when and if there's a light at the end of that tunnel <clears throat> you know that said you know i do think that the the focus on or this sort of idea that by focusing on timelines or that by imposing tighter deadlines on these processes that will be able to end bureaucratic hurdles isn't the isn't the approach to bringing substantive changes that are long lasting and that are going to actually drive this result. So uh, I'm paraphrasing from a Politico article, I think that came out yesterday on that, but I do think that substantive changes in the permitting process is what we need. And I don't think that whipping timelines 
on the existing process that we have is going to drive those results. So still cheerful, long-term optimistic, but I do think that uh, to echo Austin, you know, this is, this is the, the big, you know, the beginning of the next chapter. And those of us who have been working at this now for, you know, decades, uh, this is going to be an even heavier lift than, than getting people to start having this conversation at all. Thank you, Emily, James, Austin, and Todd for a great uh, discussion. Um, and uh, the winds at our back with the uh, US government really making the step function change. I think have surpassed Europe in a number of ways who seemed a little bit ahead on this topic a few years ago. Um, and uh, thank you, Andy Fake and the Minds and Money team for having us again. We'll do it again next quarter and hopefully we'll have uh, favorable permitting reform um, under Manchin, and we'll see what happens in the uh, House and Senate and uh, read the political tea leaves uh, you know, at that time. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, Howard. Thank you, Thank you Howard. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.